Hello and welcome to this BMJ podcast about well-being. Today we're talking about mindfulness and how it might be a useful psychological tool to cope with pandemic stress. I'm Kat Chatfield, a trained GP with an interest in quality and patient safety. And I'm Abby Ribber, careers editor at the BMJ with an interest in doctors' well-being. Kat and I co-lead the BMJ's well-being campaign, which is obviously a big topic right now. Today we'll be talking to a junior doctor who comes from a Burmese Buddhist background and a tradition of practising mindfulness. We'll hear how he uses certain techniques to deal with the stresses of studying to be a doctor and how the same techniques might be useful for other healthcare workers during this challenging time. Kat, as a clinician, I wonder what you think about mindfulness? It's a good question. It's something that I feel like I should know more about than I do. Um, I'm aware that there's some evidence which suggests it's helpful and I haven't really talked about this much but last year I went through a period of being off work with stress and it was heavily recommended to me but I just was rubbish at it Abby. I was just rubbish. Every time I sort of sat down I thought I'm going to do mindfulness now. Uh, My brain was just all over the place. Um, So yeah I felt like I wasn't very good so I'd be interested to hear some practical tips for um, how to kind of yeah do it in a way that's helpful. It's funny that you say you weren't very good because I have to be honest I've also tried I have the Headspace app which I really like to use because they do these lovely stories that they talk through to help you get to sleep which I really like but I've tried to do the kind of more meditative practices and I have really struggled especially with the idea of kind of noticing your thoughts and then letting them pass I'm really not very very good at that and then you start to worry that you're not doing it properly and it kind of interferes with the whole process but you know it might be useful to hear from him if he's got any practical tips and ways that doctors can maybe use mindfulness but in their sort of working day. Yeah I think what I'm interested in hearing about is not just this kind of classic concept I think I sort of slightly confuse mindfulness with meditation mm, and I, I kind of I've assume just done you that, have to I? be no no not at all I think I think it's a common conception I think you yeah, so I feel like you have to be sitting in a dark room staring at a candle and actually I think mindfulness is probably not that it's probably just feeling more generally connected to the moment and your thoughts and yourself but as I said I'm, I'm sort of embarrassed to admit I don't really have a very clear idea of exactly what it is so I, I look forward to being put out of my ignorance during this podcast. Well, we're really pleased to welcome onto the podcast someone who actually knows about mindfulness and can help explain what it is. My name's Chris Boo. Um, I'm a CT1 psychiatry trainee doctor uh, in the Northwest, currently in Liverpool. I'm currently sitting in my kitchen uh, whilst working from home. And I'd just like to thank you for having me on the uh, podcast. Well, thank you very much for joining us. And I guess the first question to kick off with is to sort of lift Kat and I out of our ignorance and ask you, what is mindfulness? Yeah, it's, um, you know, it's a really interesting question. And I think it's something that I go back to a lot as well. I think if I just kind of explain on a more maybe personal level um, first. So for me, um, mindfulness is is there amongst the things that keeps me from stress, that helps me to deal with stress. Um, uh, along with things like exercise, yoga, and, you know, just being out in nature. But for me, I'm quite an anxious person. And so I spend a lot of time with a lot of thoughts. I can spend a lot of time in my own head. And so mindfulness for me is really something that can help me come out of my head, out of those thoughts, and kind of just re-engage with whatever, whatever's going on there, really. I always give the sort of example of having a cup of tea. Um, and I don't know if this is something that's ever happened to you, but this happens to me all the time. 
I realize I'm, I'm making a cup of tea. And then the next thing that I notice is that my cup of tea is finished and I'm always, you know, being slingshotted into uh, the next thing uh, without even remembering what it tasted like, uh, how long it took, what I was doing at the same time. You know, that might happen for a number of reasons. Um, might be things, you know, on my, on my mind, might be multitasking and doing other things at the same time. But um, it may be a helpful way to think about mindfulness is kind of um, like, like a muscle that you train and it's that kind of awareness muscle. So for me, it would be um, the, 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 the quality or the skill of coming back to whatever you're doing, um, whether that's, you know, a couple of times, whether you have to keep bringing yourself back to that present moment, but really thinking of it like um, a, a brain muscle. And I guess it, I, was re- I was really interested to hear y- your thoughts about it in terms of w- what it is exactly. And one way of thinking about it might be more, more of a, as a quality. So I know that we tend to, you know, people talk about mindfulness and um, it's interesting to hear you think, you know, oh, maybe I'm not very good at this. I'm not a mindful person. And that's really interesting. Perhaps it's less about there being mindful people and non-mindful people and perhaps a little bit like um, leadership, how you know, it's not that there are leaders and there are other people. It's that there's the, the quality of leadership in, in, in all people, but it's just about kind of recognizing that and, and bringing it out. And so in the same way, mindfulness being a quality that we all possess to some degree, uh, we might have a difficult relationship to it. We might, you know, practice it quite actively. But I think it's something that's actually um, there in all of us, just not that we call it that by name. And then the other really interesting thing I wanted just to pick up on was about the distinction between formal meditation practice and I guess we might call that meditation and then there's also kind of the other bit which is mindfulness in action so the formal practice might involve yeah the apps and they're they're great going to a course setting a timer and spending a quiet bit of time separately practicing that skill and training the muscle but I think there's a lot in kind of um, the bits that mindfulness infiltrates into your into your life and how how that manifest itself when you're um, enjoying a nice glass of wine and you're really getting into you know the flavors you're trying to make the most of the experience there or you know you might not even be aware that it's mindfulness but maybe when you're exercising and actually you've, you've sunk into a lot of the physical um, sensations and things that are going on rather than like I do spend a lot of time in my thoughts. That's really interesting, Chris. And I think I thought of it as a kind of disconnectedness, but actually in some ways it's it's the opposite. It's a quality of being more connected and more aware of what's going on. And so it feels talking about evidence is tricky, isn't it? Because when we're asking about evidence, it's like, well, is there evidence for any, I guess, particular type of mindfulness intervention? I think clinicians are very keen to look for the evidence. So is there evidence that some mindfulness type interventions can help with stress and anxiety? I think first and foremost, um, as, as doctors, you know, we're, we're trained to be critical. And so I think it is really important that we kind of do look at the, the good and the bad and, and what the evidence is out there. But like you said, there are difficulties with that too. If I can just take us back, the, all the evidence for mindfulness in the West kind of comes from this eight-week package of mindfulness um, that's called MBCT, so Mindfulness-Based Cognitive Therapy, or MBSR, which is stress reduction. And that was brought to the West by a chap called John Kabat-Zinn, a psychologist. And that was where in America, in Massachusetts, they were helping people with chronic pain and stress that couldn't be helped in the main hospitals. And so 
that package of mindfulness is what's been tested mainly in the literature and that's what's carried on now to what's in the NICE guidelines for uh, the recommendations for, for preventing relapses and recurrent depression. It was a landmark study in 2015 uh, where it showed that mindfulness-based uh, cognitive therapy might be uh, non-inferior to medication for preventing relapse. So I think in terms of that work, it's you know come along and that's kind of fairly well established. And now the interesting work, I guess, is in looking at specific clinical populations, contexts. I know that in psychiatry, it's kind of right at the beginning. So it's actually quite an exciting time for that. But I guess there was a shift in thinking really when um, there was an all-party parliamentary group uh, that produced the Mindful Nation UK report that made recommendations to kind of increase in healthcare, but, but also in work in schools, in the criminal justice system. And it might indicate that it's, it's more than just about treating something, so reducing stress and uh, pain, but actually there might be something else there as well. Um, so I guess, yeah, it comes back to your question, of what is the evidence there for? What does, it, what does it show? What are we measuring it against? And I guess I'm particularly interested in what the evidence is or, or what that change might be in, in doctors. And that's where there isn't too much evidence. So in the um, Northwest, that's the work that we're currently doing. So we run a course for other foundation doctors at the Royal Liverpool, where I work, and people found it quite helpful. This was partnering with um, a great mindfulness organisation called Breathworks, um, who train teachers and provide courses. And this is an ongoing piece of work where we're looking at a few different um, trusts now in the Northwest. But it's really to try and answer that question of how might mindfulness be helpful to doctors in particular? Is it just about stress reduction, reducing burnout? Or is there, is there something else possibly? Chris, to look at it at a slightly more personal level, I'd be interested to hear from you. How did you come to mindfulness and how has it sort of helped you during your career? Yeah, I guess. Um, so I, I'm from a, um, like you said, a Burmese Buddhist background. Um, so I was exposed to it at quite a young age. And I guess it didn't really sink in as something that important at the time. Um, but when it came to medical school, um, especially around exam times, um, and also in that sort of really tricky transition in foundation year, uh, where you know you become a, a doctor for the first time, I found this immensely stressful. And so I think for me, it's in part been about survival. It's one of the things that's kind of got me through to where I am at the moment. So kind of putting it back, you know, to that muscle analogy, there are those moments where perhaps, you know, you finished a long call and you're still thinking about something. There's something that's, that's, that, that hasn't quite resolved and you take it home with you it bothers you it stops you from sleeping and it's actually in that time that it's been really really helpful because when you've got nothing else to do because things like distractions are also really helpful it's not that mindfulness is a panacea and it's useful all the time for all situations there are times when maybe you just need to spend the evening watching netflix and getting through your favorite tv shows i think that's you know completely appropriate at times but um, I'll give an example of um, giving sort of presentations or, or public speaking. Now, I really hate that and I find it really, really difficult. And in those moments, you can't um, necessarily distract yourself. So what do you do? And for me, I think that mindfulness is, is, is kind of provided a really deep-seated framework there, right at the kind of deep part of my mind. If I'm really struggling and I've got nothing else um, to hand, I can't distract myself, then I can ground myself. I can feel my feet on the floor. I can just take a note of the surroundings going on. I can become aware of my breathing. And in that sense, it's been really crucial to getting through those crisis moments, those, you know, those periods where you really struggle. And um, becoming a doctor and working as a doctor isn't easy. So I think there's always going to be an abundance of those, of those moments. 
it's really useful to hear some practical examples of, of when you've used it and it sounds like in situations where you feel really overwhelmed it, it's been a kind of useful useful crisis technique you talked about your work in Liverpool but um what what do you think you might find how might mindfulness help doctors in general yeah it's really interesting so um I think whenever this question is asked I think it's always important to point out the kind of idea of personal and organizational factors in well-being so you know clearly I'm, I'm, I'm very passionate about mindfulness and I think it's important for people to equip themselves and work hard on becoming you know resilient I think you know, in the literature, it shows that organisational factors such as rotor gaps, staff shortages, uh, you know, and in the current crisis, things like lack of PPE and real risk of harm massively outweigh the impact on well-being. So it's to, to bring that to the fore, really, because whenever we have these discussions about mindfulness and what more could doctors be doing, I think we can't ignore the fact of, uh, or you know, the consideration of what organisations could be doing as well, um, and they have a lot, lot, lot more sway. But yeah, coming back to the question about helping doctors, I guess, similar to myself, I believe that, you know, it could be helpful to, to train, recognise that quality to kind of keep stress at bay. But I think there's also this different thing that's quite unique to doctors in that we're put in quite privileged positions um, to be exposed to quite tender moments um, in people's lives, really quite kind of intimate moments. And that means that there's a lot of richness to clinical practice there. And I guess for me, it's mindfulness has been helpful in kind of reconnecting with those moments and kind of remembering to enjoy those good moments as well, those nice moments. You know, I'll give the example of when, you know, you might have just um, done something for a patient been, you know, and they're thanking you, they're praising you. And, you know, I very often wouldn't really let that sink in. It's very much, okay, yeah, thanks. No, appreciate that. Okay, bye now. Yeah, you see yourself out. Um, but what about just kind of, letting yourself accept that you know like really sinking into that moment and just kind of being able to appreciate praise um which i don't think we're very good at doing so you know reconnecting with kind of why you went into medicine and some of those re reasons that, that that are there but you can forget about and chris at the moment people are obviously working in really quite stressful environments and i wondered if there are any practical tips or examples of ways that doctors could sort of incorporate mindfulness in their working day yeah absolutely so just um hark back to the other um podcast that you did with the military medic cormac doyle and actually i thought a lot of those are really good helpful tips such as you know cycling through the senses putting your hands in water because they're quite sensory things that help to to ground us and actually i think that's probably the bit to to focus on um, when we're thinking about building it into the day so first thing to look out for are sort of transition points throughout the day so by that it might be when you're driving to work you've parked the car you've switched the engine off and there's actually a moment before you get out so you switch the engine off you haven't got out of the car yet and actually you're by yourself and this is quite a good opportunity because a lot of the um mindfulness practices um if you're spending a moment, it can, it can be quite strange, actually, if you're, you know, closing your eyes, becoming aware of your breath. And I know that I personally can, you know, if you can be quite self-conscious about that and you might think, oh, hold on, people are, people are kind of looking at me and they, they must think that something's going on with me, something's wrong with me. And certainly if you're on the ward and say you've just finished with a task, you wouldn't necessarily just go and sit at the nurse's station, close your eyes in a meditative position. You know, it's quite... Um, anxiety inducing so i'd recommend something like these transition points of being in the car because it's protected and there's normally not people around and it's quite a safe space and later i can show you one of the practices that you can do and it might even just be a few seconds one breath two breaths 
or even a few minutes if you have that. And I think it's the flexibility there about not getting too hung up on um, a formal mindfulness practice. Like we said before, it's not that you have to complete a headspace guided meditation for you to have done it. It's even if you have like an awareness of that mindfulness or the awareness before you do the next thing. Have you, have you punctuated your activities? So you've driven to work, you've stopped, and then you get on with the next thing. But unless you take that time to punctuate, like the cup of tea, you can just end up being sort of slingshotted into the next moment, really. And a similar transition point might be kind of in between patients. So we're running clinics at the moment, and at the moment we're doing it from home. But again, this is a really good opportunity because after the last patient leaves and before the next one comes, you're often by yourself. And again, this is a really good protected space where you don't need to worry about how you're looking, you know, people checking up on you in time, you're managing your own time. And actually, even if you spend a few seconds there, that can be really helpful. Chris, I think when we spoke, you maybe mentioned um, instances where you might be on the wards, I think maybe waiting for results or a particular machine. Yeah, no, that's right. So um, I was thinking about um, the ABG machine. So um, when I worked in A&E at the Royal, um, um, there's there's this moment where, you know, you've taken the ABG, you put it into the analyzer and um, you're waiting nervously for the results because it's usually because someone's quite unwell um, and there's a lot going on. And you might be thinking about the patient. You might be thinking about what the results might show. But actually, there's a good 30, 40 second gap there sometimes where you can use it as an opportunity. You're normally standing up to just feel your feet on the ground, check in with your breathing. Are you holding your breathing and just let yourself just notice what's going on around you instead of perhaps spending the time unwisely and just overthinking things a little bit. So again, just another kind of opportunity there. Um, and on the wards, another one working in the service that we do. Unfortunately, we're on hold sometimes a lot. And we're waiting a lot. So it might be when you're logging into the PC or when you're on hold on the phone. And I know that in the past, I've certainly had the tendency to um, multitask and try and do something else at the same time. Um, and that's fraught with problems too, you know, when you're multitasking and you're trying to do two things at once and then whoever's on the phone suddenly picks up, you might not have saved your work. So um, maybe I just, um, yeah, invite you to use those opportunities too, to just kind of engage with what, what's going on and just take a bit of a pause. I think in um, hospitals in particular, it's difficult because where is that space? We're either working or we're eating or we might be in the mess. But the trouble with some of the setup of these situations and, and areas is that um, even when you're in the mess, there's a lot of pressure to engage with other people, to talk and to catch up. And, and that's great, too, because, you know, sometimes we don't get to see our colleagues, but often there isn't a space where you can just sit and be quiet. And I think sometimes that's what's what's needed, depending on the situation. When I was a medical student in um, the Royal Free Hospital in London, I found that actually I ended up in, in, in a lovely chapel uh, in the hospital, not for any religious reason, but because it's a place where you're supposed to go and be quiet and just sit there. So I could plug in a guided meditation using an app, spend five minutes, go back to whatever I was doing. And it's, it's um, quite convenient because um, it's not like you have to kind of excuse yourself from a social conversation or from work and it's kind of something that's that's quite helpful and, and there but it's just about finding these spaces so I'd really invite you to just become aware of transition points waiting opportunities and and kind of just places around the hospital. Thanks Chris it's a really lovely idea of going to the chapel and having some peace and quiet 
we've been hearing in one of our articles about things that um, trust have set up around the country to help clinicians in these times. And one of those is wobble rooms, which are quiet places where you can go and, and have a wobble. And it, it feels to me that there is this real kind of appetite for these um, these quiet spaces, which are often hard to find. You mentioned an invitation to talk us through a, a mindfulness practice. Uh, would you be able to do that for us? Yeah, absolutely. So I'd call this like a, a portable mindfulness practice. So yeah, I'd um, just invite you um, wherever you are. Perhaps if you're driving, it's not the best idea, um, but just to find a nice, um, comfortable seated posture. It's okay if you're not as well, but just to make sure that you are feeling nice and settled and with a nice upright spine. And I'd invite you just to have your hands on your lap with your palms facing upwards. And I just invite you to just see if you can give up to gravity. Let your shoulders just relax and come down. Just notice if you're tensing any facial muscles or any of the muscles in the body. Just see if you can relax them slightly. And if it feels comfortable, you can just close your eyes at this point too. So what I want you to do now is just to really concentrate and squeeze your right hand into a fist. What do you notice has happened to your breathing? For me, I've actually stopped breathing. I've become quite tense. So this is what happens when we're going on through the day. We can get quite stressed and tense. So I'd invite you just to try and take some deep breaths now. Really trying to relax the muscles of the abdomen. Taking some deep breaths in and out. And what do you notice has happened to your fist now? I know that for me, it's, it's relaxed slightly. So I'd invite you just to see if you can now open and close your hand and try and sync that movement with the natural rhythm of your breath. So you might like to open your fist on the in-breath and close your fist on the out-breath. And the important thing here is that it's not the hand dictating the speed of movement with your breathing, but just letting that natural rhythm of the breath guide the hand movements. And just coming to stillness. Um, so another similar one that we can do in the same way is to lift the shoulders up forwards and upwards and then roll them backwards and down. And in the same way, just see if you can time that movement. So perhaps with the in-breath, lifting the shoulders up. And on the out-breath, moving the shoulders down. And you can just keep going in this way. Remembering just to be aware of what your breathing's doing. Is it relaxed? Are you tensing your stomach muscles? So just any time you become aware, just using that as an opportunity to relax the breathing muscles, relax the belly, and just take some full deep breaths. Mm. 
And at any point, if your mind's somewhere else, it's wandering, then that's absolutely fine because that's what brains do. Just noticing it and just maybe coming back to the breath. And when you're ready, just making some small movements and then blinking your eyes open. That was lovely. Thank you, Chris. That was so restful. Yeah, really lovely. Um, my shoulders especially really, you know, enjoyed the sensation of release. Um, great. Thank you so much. No problem. Um, yeah, and so that's a little portable practice that even if, you know, you don't need to spend that long doing it, it can just be moving the moving the hand or moving the shoulders that's needed uh, in the car or between patients. So just having that idea of a little portable uh, practice there. Chris, do you have any advice for doctors who might want to kind of more formalise their mindfulness practice? And are there any kind of tools that people can use to help them? Yeah, absolutely. So um, I'm currently doing my own teacher training in mindfulness. Um, and so that's with um, an organisation called Breathworks that I mentioned earlier. Um, and so they're great. They're a secular organisation that run loads of courses um, and they have um, do teacher training as well. Um, and they've developed a specific um, resource for the COVID situation for key workers in particular. Um, there's also a parallel one just for people struggling in the in COVID, but um, one specifically for healthcare workers, um, and it's called the Quiet Place. And you can access it just by Googling Breathworks, but I think we're going to provide a URL as well. And they do a weekly sort of drop-in live meditation session as well. But the Quiet Place is good. It's just got lots of mini practices like we did today. So it might just be a one-minute guided practice or a three-minute guided practice. So you can just kind of keep that up, download those tracks, and you can just kind of have them whenever you need them. Breathworks is part of the um, BAMBA organization, which is the uh, British Association of uh, Mindfulness-Based Approaches, which is a governing body similar to the, the, the GMC for doctors, but just to ensure that there's that kind of you know level of credibility there. And so, yeah, I would definitely recommend in terms of bringing it into to work maybe just try it yourself and I think that's probably the, the the most important thing that I'd recommend you might notice some differences people around you might notice some differences and it might even just be somebody catching you pausing at the ABG machine and looking a bit odd but that might be really good because then they might ask you kind of what you're doing and it might just then lead to a little discussion about it and you can teach somebody else the, the practice that we've done today and, you know, as doctors, we're, we're often seen as, as leaders in um, the settings that we're in. And so if we can be seen to be kind of taking an interest in this quality of mindfulness, it might just catch on a little bit, which is um, what I definitely recommend you to do. That's great. Thank you, Chris. Um, and I know that the uh, Oxford Mindfulness Centre are also running mindfulness skills for frontline health workers. They're running a, a series of three uh, Zoom lectures and we'll link to those as well if you want to find out more. Well, that was really interesting. Um, I hadn't really sort of thought of mindfulness in those terms. And what it reminded me is that so many of the tips and tricks we've heard in other podcasts, I think, could come under the umbrella of mindfulness. Um, we had Dr. McCash talking about the grounding technique she uses. We had um, Major Cormac Doyle um, talking about using the senses, which which Chris referred to. And then Caroline Walker also talking about um, the kind of transition ritual and the three questions. So it's really interesting how we're sort of sensing this recurrent theme of just ways to find some space and pause and reflect and carve out some time time for yourself in these really busy crazy times yeah absolutely it feels like it's partly about sort of giving yourself permission to take even that really small bit of time just to stop and think and kind of 
recharge. I know it's a bit of a corny word, but, you know, take that time. And I really liked um, Chris's practice. That definitely made me feel relaxed. And I like the idea of kind of being able to bring that into your working day. Yeah, it's nice to have advice on something that's actually kind of achievable. I think otherwise we can kind of set ourselves these goals and go, oh, I'm going to meditate for 10 minutes every day. And and it's just out of reach and impractical. But we set ourselves these high standards, particularly clinicians, I think. Uh, So having something that you can really manage that, yeah, I can do some breaths and and kind of relax my hand and my shoulders. I think it's really nice to have some really practical stuff to do. Absolutely. Well, let's wrap this up for now. Thanks so much to Chris Boo for being an excellent guest. And check us out on social media. We're at BMJ underscore latest on Twitter, or you can join the BMJ Wellbeing Group on Facebook. And please let us know your ideas of what we might cover in the future. Until next time, it's bye-bye from us. Bye. Bye.